Welcome back to another edition of the Seven Innings Podcast. And uh, already a couple of weeks on the books. Some exciting unbeaten teams to talk about. Some big surprises to talk about. A little history being made in the game. All kinds of fun, including a little bit of shagging stats this week on the podcast. At Seven Innings Podcast to follow along with social media, as well as getting this week's lineup card for you. I'm Beth Mullins, along with Michelle Smith, Holly Rowe, Amanda Scarborough, Jenny Dalton-Hill, Kayla Bro, and a cast of thousands behind the scenes bringing it to you. Welcome, ladies, and welcome, fans, one and all. And we begin with a huge shout-out. Um, Holly Rowe, it, this is uh, what it, it's a special month for women, right? And that, that's where it all begins. We we're going to talk some pioneers today. It's Women's History Month, and I wanted to start out with my suggestion for the name of this podcast, Oops, She Did It Again by Britney Spears, because Carol Hutchins becomes the all-time leading winner in softball for Collegiate Division One. So she broke the record, then Mike Camdrea broke it, then she broke it again. So that's my early in the clubhouse um, podcast title suggestion. Oops, She Did Bro It. was going two for three for podcast titles, potentially to open up open up this year's uh, run of show. So it's up to the rest of us to see if we can top, oops, she did it again. Another big pioneer, Mary Nutter. And for a lot of softball fans, it's just the Nutter classic, but Mary was one of the great pioneers of the game. This week, it's the Judy Garman classic out in Southern California. Another one of the great pioneers of the game. Get out the Google machine, folks, and look them up. They have done a lot for this great game of softball. Who, uh, show, raise your hand. Who wants to start off our Mary Nutter recap? There was a whole lot going on out there, Holly. Well, I just wanted you to know, I already got out the Google machine to give you a quick update on Mary Nutter. She came along before Title IX, and so she didn't really get a chance to play college softball, but she was a two-time ASA first-team All-American. She played professionally in amateur through 1976 and was one of the great coaches at Pittsburgh State and great um, giver backers. What's a good word for giver backers? But that's Mary Nutter and welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. Giver backer works. I think J- JDH, you were on site, right? Were you out there uh, checking out the action? I was. I mean, I fought the crowds. If anything you learn at the Mary Nutter Classic is that we need bigger venues. There are so many people trying to watch our amazing sport. And you talk about the Oklahoma-Arizona game and the Oklahoma-Tennessee game. Those games were seven people deep, standing. I mean, it was amazing. We need bigger venues because softball is one of those sports that is growing. It is popular and people want to see it. But you're right, Beth, I was there. I experienced it. I did not get a tri-tip sandwich. I know that's bad on me, but at the same time, it was amazing. The energy was postseason feel again. All right, we'll give you the uh, party foul on that. Scarborough, what, what was your takeaway from the Nutter this weekend? Yeah, man, I have so many. I'm going to try to keep it condensed um, to just a couple, but I love the way that Oklahoma got tested this weekend. Um, they had a, that just grueling games against Arizona, against Tennessee, or like especially that game against Tennessee was maybe the best game that we've seen up to this point in the season. And we keep seeing that weekend after weekend because we saw some in Clearwater, we saw them in Palm Springs, and then that UCF Florida one was also another good one this past week. But Oklahoma really got tested, and you saw them go get behind, which you, you don't see that out of Oklahoma all too much. Um, 
up to this point in the season, but they were playing from behind a bit. So you got to see them playing closer games, got to see Jordy ball pitch in front of thousands of people, which she tweeted out that she was really excited about getting to play on that stage in front of thousands of people at the Mary Nutter. Um, so that's what stuck out to me was Oklahoma actually getting tested and seeing Jordy ball still do her thing against better competition and against thousands of fans. Uh, those are great, Amanda. Um, I think what stood out for me uh, personally, um, Northwestern looked good again. I mean, we saw them tested at St. Pete. They looked great there. They're tested again at the Mary Nutter. And I think they had a fantastic weekend all said and done. So I think they're a team that's locked in in the top 25, top 10 um, because of their depth and because of Danielle Williams in the circle for them. And then beyond uh, Northwestern, the other team that I think really overall had a big W on the weekend was Missouri. Uh, not only did they go toe to toe with UCLA, but they end up beating Oregon. They beat Washington in run rule fashion. And shout out to Brooke Wilmis because she's going against Gabby Plain and in her first at bat against Gabby Plain hits a home run on an 0-2 count that set the tone for the entire game. They knock her out in three innings and they go on to upset the Huskies and in a big way. They're a really talented, talented team and they've had their hiccups this year, but they looked really good again this weekend. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot still to come on the program about the ALO effect. Um, some teams that are up, some teams that are down in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, the unbeatens that still remain, Florida and Alabama looking strong in the SEC. And the ACC opens up their regular season slate, Virginia Tech at Clemson, as well as some mid-major magic. But uh, at the invitation of our very own Ho-Ro in the know, instead of a player of the week this week, we have a coach of the week with the one woman that's probably seen more history that we could pack into one Women's History Month. And she now stands alone, Holly, um, at, at the top of a very special list. That's right. We wanted to bring in Coach Carol Hutchins. And Coach, I know you've got a game, so we'll be very brief with you. But 1,676 wins. You stand alone at the top of college softball. I know you don't care about your own personal record. But don't be modest. We need women to stand up and shout out when they have an accomplishment. What does this mean to you and, more importantly, your program? Well, I think it's all about my program and I'm the proud, proud leader of this program, but uh, I've got a tremendous support group. And as I was able to be around a number of my alums over the weekend and uh, the game we won was against Catherine Gleason's team, who is my captain of the 96 team. And then the next game against Duke, Marissa Young. And I just look at them. They are the record. They are the record. And, um, I think it's really important that we celebrate women. And I'm listening to you guys talk about we've outgrown the rec fields, man. Put us in big stadiums for all these fantastic events. You know, our players deserve that. And it's great for the fans, but the fans will go. They'll go with their teams. And uh, we need to keep pushing that envelope. And we're, we're on our way, but it's time to fly. 39 years coaching. I just wondered why you have such great passion and great energy. You know, you continue to be such an advocate for the game. How do you keep living this passion every day? Well, my mom used to say I'm the luckiest person in, that she's ever met because I, I live my, I live my dream. I play softball for a living. I get to be around young people who are the heart and soul of, of the world. I mean, I get to help shape and impact them and as they go through their life. And there's not one of them that has an impact in my life in 
every way, shape or form. And the greatest joy of all my great joys is when I'm around all my former players. I love them so much and that we're all part of each other. And um, really, I'm very passionate about um, women in leadership positions, women in coaching and what women do matters and celebrating women at the same high levels that we celebrate the men's games in, every, in anything and everything. And the inequities that are still not only there, but are getting bigger. And they were pointed out last year in the women's basketball tournament. And they're pointed out during our college world series. And you know what? Let's point them out. Let's put them out there because the NCAA and athletics, they don't like to be uncomfortable when it's pointed out on social media. So it's time. I mean, it's ripe. We're ripe to go to the next level. Hutch, you and, and the coaches were, were so adamant and fought so hard. You, you talked about the changes coming to the Women's College World Series, and, and hopefully we will continue to push the envelope and make more and more changes. You guys, of course, rang in the Champ Series era with that legendary win in 2005. How do you think the new setup, uh, spreading out the games a little bit more, potentially having a day off for the Champ Series, is going to help sell our game even more? Well, I, you know, when we won, we won against or lost against Tennessee at 2 a.m. in the semifinals first game. And so we played the if game at noon the next day. And then we did win it and we played the first game of the championship series at 7 p.m. So there is no doubt we could have used a day of rest at that point. We lost that first game and our pitcher ran out of gas. She had thrown you all had the stat some 300 and some pitches in less than 24 hours. Um, do I think it can help? It will give our women a chance to play at their best as opposed to cramming it all in when you're not always at your best. And I think it goes deeper though, Beth. I think it's, we, the NCAA legislates the championships. Let's go to college campuses and take a look at the venues that, that we're playing in. We have some fantastic softball facilities, but there are so many coaches that call me places I go where their softball and baseball facility don't begin to compare. And it's time. It's time. Equity is equity. And uh, it's across all levels, whether it's at the championship series or at Patana College campus. Um, people need to speak out. And most importantly, they need to be heard. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time. I know I promised you just a few minutes because you're getting ready to leave for your game today. But congratulations on setting the record. I know it's not about you, but we salute you. You are a perfect candidate for our Women in History okay. Month. And if you're okay with it, I wanted to title our episode, Oops, I Did It Again, because this is the second time you set the record. Do you approve? I, I love it. I love it. It's a great way to just keep getting, you know, recognized, right? So but I appreciate you guys and all you do for our game because ESPN, TV, and people like yourselves, strong women, are why we're flying. So love y'all. Thank you, coach. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for having me. Go Blue. Carol Hutchins, the winningest coach in college softball history. They're getting set for a big series at Kentucky. We'll, we'll talk about some of uh, the big matchups coming up this weekend. And Holly did it again, too. She got coach's approval just when I was about to change the name of the episode to I Live My Dream, which was Carol's quote. But now, no, we're sticking with Brittany slash Holly. We're going we're gonna to go with oops. She did it again. Congratulations to our, in lieu of a player of the week, we're going coach of the week with Carol Hutchins uh, and uh, setting uh, the record for the second time and probably will not be caught um, at any time soon. Um, if you're following along on social media at seven innings podcast, 
we move on to number three now uh, on our lineup card, and that is the ALO effect. And you'll note it's spelled with an A because it is all about producing an effect or a change in the way people operate. When ALO comes to the plate, Smitty, pitchers shudder and they start walking her. So just like what we saw at the end of last year at the World Series, I believe it was 10 times she was walked in the NCAA tournament. And I think it was eight times she was walked at the Mary Nutter. Quite honestly, I don't remember. Does anybody remember who gave up Chamberlain's record-breaking home run ball? I, d I don't know if we would ever even remember who gave up Allos when that comes. Well, as a pitcher, you definitely remember when you give up a long ball. Um, and especially if it's going to be a record-breaking one, I think that um, folks are going to remember this one. Uh, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, when anyone's going after a record, um, some pitchers are just like, they don't want it to be me. And they end up pitching around or 15 walks and 15 games. So really, when you look at it that way, it, it doesn't seem quite as bad. I think, yes, in the Mary Nutter, people were definitely avoiding, uh, you know, putting anything too close to the plate where she could do a lot of damage. She's got a 474 batting average. We talked about this last week. It's not just her ability to hit the ball out uh, over the fence. It's just how she can hit for average, her OPS is a gaudy 1.775. I mean, you just look at her statistics. It's it's ridiculous. She's got 18 hits and 38 at-bats, um, the slugging percentage as well. I mean, she just, she knows the zone. She's not being selfish. She knows she's got other hitters behind her. She's not even the leading home run hitter on the club, right? Uh, 40 home runs as, as a squad. So I think that Jocelyn understands she's mature. And I think she, as much as this home run record means, I think the win and another national championship is probably number one on her list. Another thing I really like that Patty Gasso did with her lineup this week was put Tiare Jennings behind Allo. I was wondering when that was going to happen. Jennings has led off so many games with a first pitch home run. And so if you're going to walk Allo, why not make it a two-run dinger rather than just a solo shot to start the game? We know that Allo is going to get pitched around all year long, but when it comes to big hitters, you have to protect them. And yes, there is a full lineup back behind Allo where she was sitting prior to the move. However, Jennings, the most powerful and dominant bat at the top of the lineup, I love the move putting her back behind Allo to then, if you're going to walk her, then all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more difficult to swallow a two-run home run. Holly, what you got? Well, that's something that happened. Remember Arizona State at the Women's College World Series years ago, everybody started walking Katie Cochran. And so Clint Myers did something that I thought was so smart. He put her in the leadoff position. Like if you're going to walk, if you want to walk her, we're going to put her on base. So whoever comes up behind her can bring her home and you're going to start off the game with a run. So I think it's a great strategy. And I love what you said about Patty. Um, that's just super smart. And am I the only one that's secretly happy she didn't break the record yet so she can do it at her home state of Hawaii? Raise <laughs> Am I the only one that's excited that she could do it in front of her home crowd? I totally agree with you, Holly. And I think that a part of the, the Allo effect going on too, that you don't see in the scorebook, you don't see in the press releases was the fact that she was playing in front of thousands of people at the Mary Nutter. And when thousands of people are there, thousands of phones were up. It got silent when she came up. There were so many timeouts called as she stepped up to the plate. So all of that goes into the, the pressure factor of like silence. When you're stepping up to the box, you feel the phones and the eyes on you. 
but also you're just annoyed that they're calling timeout before you come up to the plate every time, because it's getting you out of your rhythm. It's getting you out of your groove. And that also goes into the fact of, you know, probably why she didn't hit it this week and nobody wanted to pitch to her, of course, but there were those other factors too, that I wanted to point out that I thought was definitely a part of the hollow effect. It's a buzz around them, right? That we you see once every few years it reminds me of when Chamberlain would come to bat or when Stacy Newman would come to bat. Or the, I do have the uh, historic World Series Bible out, Hallie Rowe, and uh, you are absolutely correct. Back to 2008, when Arizona State, uh, Katie Cochran walked six times intentionally and hit by a pitch twice in their first couple of games, and then opponents. Uh, who were refusing to pitch to her, she scored 11 of their 13 first runs in that World Series. And then, of course, came back around and threw a, uh, hit a home run in the Champ Series when they finally did decide to throw to her. A lot of fun. Hopefully, we will see some teams pitch to Alo so we can see that sweet swing a lot more. And then, you know, who knows what happens when we get around to uh, World Series time. But something to keep an eye on, the Alo effect, as the home run chase continues What's the countdown to Hawaii, Holly? They got one more weekend on the continent and then they head out, right? Yep, that's right. So, okay, the auto effect. We're moving on. Number four, the uh, the uh, Florida-Georgia line. We're talking about Florabama, uh, you know, down Destin Way, down Pensacola Way in that area over there because they, they are two of the four remaining unbeatens atop the polls. And, of course, they appear to be the two that will be fighting it out atop the SEC Fouts. Off to a great start, and the newcomers have been fabulous, both the freshmen and the transfers. And then the Florida rookies leading the way right now for the Gators in the circle and at the plate. So who wants to start our chitty chat here about Florabama? JDH, is that you? You're laughing. I just love the way you put things together. Um, but when it comes to these two, these two teams, Montana Fouts is as good as she is and she's that much better because of Lexi Kilfoyle. Fouts can only do so much in the circle, but she will wear out if she doesn't have a solid ace behind her. And that really is Lexi Kilfoyle. We saw her hit a monster home run at Arizona. So not only can she pitch, she can hit as well for herself, which opens up the flex DP for maybe another hitter that needs a little help. So that to me is the key for, for, Alabama because they have a two-headed monster in the circle. They've also got some key transfers in that bring some solid bats into their lineup and some great defense being played behind them. They are going to be a tough team and I cannot wait to see that matchup with Oklahoma and unfortunately it's going to come way down the line. But also when you talk about Florida, they're one of those teams for me that fly under the TV radar early in the year. They don't play the big Mary Nutter. They don't really go and play in St. Pete. So they're a team that silently just is an assassin that comes through and takes people off and picks them away. And they develop this confidence that as they head into the SEC season. And yes, they have a grueling SEC conference schedule. But when it comes to them, I just love how they stay status quo at the beginning of the year and fly under the radar. Patrick Murphy said that it was actually a conversation he had with Lexi Kilfoyle and they really debated about whether she was going to stay in the lineup as a hitter. And they just decided that it would give them one, she wants to do it. 
Two, it would give them so many different options if they can have her as a DP, have Man Montana start. Like there, there's just so many more substitution opportunities if Lexi Kilfoyle can be in the hitting lineup. And then they've been smarter about how they're using her in practice so she's not overworking. They felt like she got overworked, maybe cut the bullpens a little bit short or be more efficient, and then cut the hitting work a little bit short. So it's a very intentional move by Patrick Murphy, and I think it will pay off. I uh, love everything you guys had to say. I think Kilfoyle, Kilfoyle doesn't get enough credit. And the other person that we haven't given enough, enough credit to on this podcast is the freshman Kendra Falby from Florida. I mean, she has been so good this year. She's batting well over 400, actually well over 500, excuse me. She leads the country with 16 stolen bases. Uh, I look back at a Florida team last year that lost to Georgia in a super regionals and 100% what they were missing was somebody with speed, somebody to be a spark at the top of the lineup. They just could not get their offense going and they couldn't just let somebody like Charlotte Eccles come up with a big hit because nobody was on base to get that big hit. So to add somebody like her, somebody like Skylar Wallace, who is like right behind her in stolen bases with 14. So not only are they having people that are getting on base, but they're putting pressure on the on defenses, they're ex exceeding what they did last year in terms of offensive production. I think that's going to be the difference for this Florida team as they go into SEC play. And, and I think you guys are absolutely right. They seem to just be on that collision course with Bama once again this year. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's interesting too, Kayla, to kind of echo what you said about uh, Florida 16 and 0. How about their batting average this year? It's 367 as a team, 12 home runs. Okay. So it's interesting how you know, the coaches are able every year to kind of morph their team into what, what they need it to be. Right. And so Tim Walton, he's like a genius at that. In the past, we've seen the long ball, the way they win this year, it's speed. How about their 45 stolen bases and 49 attempts? All right. But check this out of their 12 home runs, their extra base hits, they only have 39. Okay. That gives them about an extra base uh, hit percentage of 25% of their hits coming in. So they have to go station to station. They have to steal to get into scoring position of the undefeated team. That is by far the lowest number of extra base hits at 25%. Everybody else is right around 35% or higher. Oklahoma is a whopping 44% of their hits are extra base hits. So it's just interesting how Florida every year they recreate themselves to be able to put runs up on the board. And then they're using five pitchers. So they're hard to prepare from just always a very, very well-coached team. One quick thing that stuck out to me about Florida is the fact that Hightower only has two starts. Their freshman Delbury has six, Lugo has six, but Hightower only has two starts. Maybe we'll figure out what that reason is as we continue to move on. And then Alabama, you guys talked about it a little bit with Kilfoyle and Montana Fouts, but Torrance has three starts, Salter Salter has three starts as well. So I love the way that Patrick Murphy is not just even relying on Montana and Kilfoyle, but getting the rest of the staff starting opportunities to be able to, to have a role on the pitching staff as well. And I think too, the other thing for both these programs, their coaches, that it is the perfect blend of freshmen and hitting the transfer portal. They have gotten huge contributions from both the transfers and the freshmen the last couple of seasons, and it's starting out that way again this year. Mark your calendar, folks. What, what a big week it's going to be that uh, starting on April the 2nd, we've got Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, and then Alabama at Florida, April 9, 10, and 11, all three of those games for you on the ESPN Networks.
Full disclosure, I have been to the Floribama bar. I, I have also had a beverage there. Everyone, show of hands. Oh, there's quite a few of us naughty girls. Uh, moving down the lineup card, uh, let, let's uh, check out number five. And amongst the big showdowns this week, Virginia Tech Clemson, Michigan is at Kentucky, and Stanford, their first test against a ranked opponent, they go to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. Let's start out with the big bopper, uh, the big one in the ACC, which may go a long way towards determining who wins the regular season uh, at the end of it all. Who would like to jump in here? Vatek Clemson, Michigan, Kentucky, Stanford, OK State. I have one Virginia Tech. You know, I talked with Keely Rochard recently, and she was telling me that how good they did last year in postseason has just jump-started this entire team that they have come back even stronger. They're working even harder. And so I really expect Virginia Tech, this is a big test. Clemson, you know, has proven to be a team to beat. But I just think that their mindset is different of why not us. And I'm really excited to see how Virginia Tech does in this series. Yeah, Holly, I think it is going to be an exciting series. So Virginia Tech took the series last year, two to one at home. So now they're going to Clemson. This will be interesting playing in that environment. We know there's a lot of buzz, big stadium, new program. Um, for Virginia Tech, me, it, it's really going to come down to their, their hitting. A team batting average of only 265. All right, that's a little bit lower than what I'd like to see them. But Cameron Fagan at the leadoff, she's at 432. So, you know, she's getting the job done for them. Um, but going into Clemson, they're going to have to put runs up on the board. Two really good pitchers. And you know what? Maybe it's not going to be a big deal because they just played at Bama and they did really good. Their freshman, Emma, has been outstanding. She went up against Alabama through six innings, only gave up five hits, two arm runs, seven um, strikeouts. So she's doing good. She's going to be a great backup uh, and number two to Keely Rouchard. And, um, you know, I think that this is just the way the ACC should start to the best programs battling out. Um, I'm excited to see this one and actually call it. Yeah, and I like that you brought up the batting average of Virginia Tech, Michelle, because that's exactly the key that I'm looking at as well. The bats need to come alive for them. They're going to go up against Valerie Cagle and Millie Thompson for Clemson. It's going to come down to can they be disciplined at the plate? Because Valerie Cagle, in her 38 innings that she's pitched, has 47 strikeouts. So it's going to, you have to swing at strikes, but you need to swing early in account. You can't let her mess around with the zone. You have to figure out what your game plan is and then stick to it. But also coaches need to make sure that they're communicating with their hitters, how to make adjustments in the game, because we know Keely Rochard is one of those pitchers who can definitely change. And as the game goes on and as a hitter, you have to make adjustments or you will not be successful. Clemson coming in with a 310 average. Will they be able to keep that kind of clip against Keely Rochard in the circle? Uh, best matchup of the weekend. Who's excited to watch Alex Storacco throw to Aaron Koffel? Yes, please. Scarborough, what do you think of this show? What the Storacco's 8-0 and Koffel leads the nation and runs batted in in that big Michigan-Kentucky matchup. Yeah, I was really going to talk about this one, actually. And then you brought it up. I'm like, okay, perfect. Let's go there because I, I love this matchup. Kentucky is a team that's 13 and one, and we haven't talked a lot about them. They graduated a lot last year. I think that they're even exceeding the expectations that they had for their team early in this year. And they've really proven that they can swing it. They're hitting like 376 as a team. I've been impressed with their offense. But as far as Michigan and Storaco, I think that Hutch put together like a really great basketball schedule because she played Duke 
Duke last weekend. She plays UNC tonight and then she plays Kentucky this weekend. So I just keep thinking about these basketball matchups, but uh, Michigan is on spring break. So uh, they're going to be away from their homes for a while. I have their game against UNC tonight. And I think that they've put together a really challenging schedule again. I mean, Hutch knows how to put together a pre-conference schedule, knowing that the Big Ten isn't as strong. But this trek that she's on, we're spring break, we're thinking some people go to the beach, like hang out at the bar, maybe. I don't know. No, for Hutch and Michigan, it is all softball all the time. They're practicing. They're getting these games in. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Starocco pitch against this good Kentucky offense. Girls gone wild. It actually means softball girls playing in lots of different places with women. <laughs> our version of girls gone wild. Uh, yeah. And it, I want to mention something about this Kentucky team. I think something that's really fun to watch is a dynamic pitching staff that can also hit. Right. So a lot of their pitchers are going to play multiple positions. Their roster is like an ever changing, ever moving. Um, you just never know when you're watching. So keep an eye on Kentucky because not only are you going to see a lot of substitutions, but you're going to see some versatile athletes could, that can pitch, that can hit, that can do a lot of different things from for them. And that's what they're going to have to do. They don't have a true ace in the circle. That's just going to go out and mow people over. So they're really going to rely on their staff and they have to get run support if they want to get a team like Michigan this weekend. Well, and I think we need to give a shout out to Kayla Kowalik, who became the all-time runs leader at Kentucky this year as well. And I know she's one of your favorites, Kayla, so you can't always give her all the credit, but honestly, Kayla Kowalik at the top of the lineup for Kentucky sets the tone. And as she sits there, she's got speed, she's got power, but she also is very crafty and able to use the slap game to be able to get herself on. She is a key for Kentucky and I have their games this weekend, Amanda. So I'll be calling you to figure out uh, what you see tonight. I saw Kentucky play in person last weekend at Arizona and I was really impressed. They're swaggy. And I know you're talking about they, they kind of have to do it by committing the circle, but they are really athletic and they're swaggy. And I too am obsessed with Kayla Kowalik. I think she's the most interesting person in softball right now because um, she's got personality, but she's so good behind the dish. So I, I like the swag of this Wildcat team. Kayla Bro is scrambling right now to find a new shag in stats because I think she's used a Kowalik sister for 10 straight weeks. So um, she, she's on the move right now. And well done, ladies. We, we continue to expand our audience with references to the Florabama Bar and Girls Gone Wild. Uh, once we get them into the fold, they'll appreciate what's happening here. That leads us to number six on our lineup card, which is the calling card. Time to talk a little Stanford. And uh, Stanford and Oregon State up in the Pac-12. Washington, Oregon down in the Pac-12 after rough weeks for them. But what do we think about the card with three consecutive no hitters from three different pitchers, Reagan Krause, Molly Millar, and Alana Vauder? Well done by Stanford. And, um, you know, I, I think the most excited person of all is Jessica Mendoza. Are the card for real? We're going to find out, Smitty, when they head to Stillwater. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, early in the season, we see some clubs that show up in uh, clear water and they're immediately tested. They go to Marinette or immediately tested. Some of them are hiding. We've talked about some of those programs. So I think this is the, definitely the big test for Stanford facing Oklahoma State, facing Kelly Maxwell and, you know, the pitching staff that, that Oklahoma has, Oklahoma State has. Um, but I think what's interesting is the two losses that Stanford does have to Boise State and BYU. 
they've been challenged, but not not enough, in my opinion. So I think that they're going to have a they're going to have a battle on their hands against Oklahoma State that is uh, starting to play a little bit more confident. They went down and sorry, Scarborough took two games from Texas A&M. Um, so uh, it will be interesting for sure. But I, I think Oklahoma State um, will probably come out in this matchup. But Michelle, Oklahoma State is not scoring a lot of runs. I mean, those two games against AM were great games, by the way. I was there freezing my tail off for I the saw one on Friday enough. night, like behind home play, like loving every second of it, but also hating every second of it too. Um, but Oklahoma State is not swinging the bat the way that we think that they can with the amount of talent that, that they have. So when you think of Stanford's strengths being their pitching staff going up against Oklahoma State, yeah, Stanford's playing on the road, but maybe the Stanford pitching staff can help pull out a win because they beat AM one to nothing and then two to one. So they're just not scoring a lot of runs. Well, and I'm going to interject there. Don't, don't underestimate your Aggies pitching staff either. I think that, uh, I think that Texas A&M is a, is a club that's going to make some noise through the, the SEC uh, this year. I think a lot of the SEC is, you know, the, the teams that maybe are middle, lower pack, I think we're going to see them upsetting some teams through the middle, higher part of the pack. Those are three big series to keep your eye on this weekend. Uh, Vatek and Clemson, Michigan at Kentucky, Stanford at Oklahoma State will all be going head to head. Let's move on to number seven. We've still got some shagging stats to talk about, and we're going to get back uh, to Women's History Month and some amazing players that are staying in the game still to come on your lineup card. But our longtime contributor, Jersey Meg, who is as big a fan of alliteration as yours truly, has decided to call this next part of the show Mid-Major Magic. And I will toss this out uh, to you, Holly Rowe. Hello, Newman. And how about what her San Diego State Aztecs are doing to lead off our Mid-Major Magic making some noise? Yeah, this was really exciting for me because, you know, obviously we love Stacy and she's done a great job at San Diego State, but they had an epic matchup with Northwestern, among others. It was really fun to see them rise and shine. And I think what we see at some of these early season tournaments is that um, it's early in the season. Not everybody's going to be what they are, but that these mid-majors can compete with the power five and the big schools. And I think it's really cool to see. Um, I know that Utah is not a mid-major, but I was really proud of what they were able to do against Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma is just running away with everything right now, and Utah really took it to them. So I think that it was exciting. But yeah, I, I love the mid-majors. Also, the national player of the of the week for NFCA was Corinne Badger from Stony Brook. So Stony Brook doing some good things there, and she got some accolades nationally as well. Just real quick, I want to interject. Holly, did you not see the triple play that the Utes turned against Oklahoma? It was incredible, right? Runners at Michelle, first. This is second. what we call ruining my shagging stat. Oh, oh Smitty. Sorry. Why would you do that right there? <laughs> Stop it. I thought you would be like, you know, we, we, let's pretend it. that didn't happen. Who's next? Well, if Kayla or if uh, Kayla Bro brings up a Kowalik every week, I feel like I bring up Leanna Johnson every week now because Leanna Johnson, Troy's pitcher, you guys, I thought it was cool that she got pitcher of the week in the Sun Belt two weeks in a row. She got it three weeks in a row. So we'll continue to track that. And Leanna Johnson of Troy clearly proving that she's an ace, clearly proving that she's one of the best pitchers in the country. So look out for Troy because of the fact that they have Leanna Johnson. UCF, another team that made some moves uh, this past week. Kayla Bro. 
Uh, yeah, I just want to go back to San Diego State and talk about their pitching, or excuse me, to talk about their coaching staff for a second. They are incredibly spoiled. They have Stacey Newman, who's their head coach, uh, you know, Olympian, no big deal. Uh, they have Victoria Hayward, Olympian for Team Canada, and they have Rachel Garcia as their graduate as volunteer assistant. I mean, it's unbelievable the talent uh, that they have. And I also want to shout out Maggie Ballant is legit pitcher. She was one of the players that um, was at Oregon when Mike White left Oregon. She kind of was moving around a little bit and ended up at San Diego State. And what a big pickup for them. She's a fierce competitor. She's leading the way in the circle. And with her and their freshman, Didi Hernandez, I think that they can go toe-to-toe with about anyone in the country in terms of pitching. So I just wanted to give another shout out to San Diego State. I'm a little afraid to mention anyone because I don't want to steal anybody shagging stats. So I'm, I'll, I'll refrain for now, but Smitty, what you got? Well, I, exactly. So um, <laughs> I think, I think a name, a picture that we have to talk about in this category is Georgina Corrick from USF. She has just been lights out. She's only given up one home run. She's got an E a, a one, a 0.13 ERA, a 0.13 ERA. Her whip is a 0.51. So what does that mean? Translate it to that. Basically three to four times a game, she's having a one, two, three inning. She's not allowing anybody on base for whatever reason, 79 strikeouts. Listen to this 79 strikeouts to just four walks. So she is just getting it done for USF and she's played some, some good teams. I mean, she was outstanding against Oklahoma state, uh, you know, I could go on and on about her, but you know, she is a, she is a really good pitcher. That's, uh, really keeping USF in that top 25 ranking. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff from the mid-major magic. Thanks to Jersey Meg for creating that category for us. Um, and, uh, talking some, talking some smack and time now for, as always, number eight on our lineup card. This week on Shaggin' Stats. All right, Holly Rowe, work your magic with your Shaggin' Stats. Okay, well, since my um, Utah triple play was ruined, I'm going a different direction. I'm going to shout out Kiki Malloy, who had 10 RBI, four home runs, and a 556 on base percentage at the Mary Nutter Classic. Tennessee showed up, showed out, had a terrific weekend. And Kiki Malloy, you are my shagging stat with an honorable mention to the Utah Triple Play. You mean Michelle's honorable mention or yours? <laughs> um, my shagging stat is the Duke offense. They hit 30, they've already hit 32 home runs in 16 games this season. Last year in 56 games, they hit 47 home runs. So Duke with the power. And I'll go next. There is only one hitter in the entire country who has hit eight home runs and had more than 10 stolen bases. <laughs> Sorry, I might've got Kayla's. When it- you stole my Kowalik one and now, <laughs> now this, Jenny. Sorry, Kayla. Okay, but I'm going to go with it. So when it comes to power and speed, the nod needs to go to Addison Bernard at Wichita State. So eight home runs and 14 stolen bases on the year. We'll give you a second, Kayla, to come up with another. I literally have two things written down and Jenny took them both. I got a couple. UMBC, Kaya Matter, in her second start, struck out 18 and threw a no hitter for the retrievers of UMBC and shout out to Shippensburg state people, Morgan DeFeo, 
tied the NCAA records with six hits and six runs in a single game. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. I'm going to jump in for my shagging stat because I can see uh, Kayla's still typing away, trying to, to figure out what she's going <laughs> to, what she's going to come in uh, for her shagging stat. Mine, I'm going to go back to Jersey. Um, I'm going to talk about the Seton Hall Pirates. They hit six home runs by five different players in their game against UMBC, who you just talked about, BMO, on uh, February 20th. So the Pirates did win that game 19 19- to two, but how about that? Six home runs by five different players. Boom. The long ball was in check on that day. What's up K bro. All right. I'm going to shout out my alma mater because at this point, why not? Um, credit to the pitching staff at Alabama this weekend. They paid Louisiana twice. They run ruled them twice, but they only give up one run. And Louisiana currently is leading the entire country in batting average with a 406 batting average. So, you know, got to shout out the Crimson Tide for dominating against a really good hitting team this weekend. That is one of the great reactions of all times, America. Scrambling as if she, her first step in the outfield was in instead of back, and it was a ball she had to track down. Climbing the wall to snag that and steal a home run. Kayla Bro. Yeah, we bend, but we don't break. We bend, but we don't break. We never doubted her because nobody was a better scrambler in the outfield. Like, literally, nobody could uh, 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 go than Kayla. Come on. Don't doubt her. Isn't Kayla used to stealing? stuff like and then everybody else is stealing her stuff i don't know it's just great point it's a great point amanda that's how it used to be that's how it used to be i'm also really can relate to that moving somebody in the top spot of the lineup because they're so afraid of the power numbers so i get that too like i had to do that all the time just they had to pitch around me i totally get that that was shagging stats uh, one of the things that our, our good bud Jen Schro was talking about this week, and, and you guys have noticed on the road, and it's it's been happening for a while, is all of these outstanding players uh, that stay in the game. And that leads us to number nine this week. We want to celebrate some of those big names that we've seen on the diamond in the past, on the dirt in the past, uh, that uh, continue to give back to the game as head coaches and and so many assistant coaches, Holly Rowe, that we now run into everywhere we go. Well, I think softball has done this better than any other sport in in college because I think we're seeing that former players are exceeding and succeeding at the highest level. Case in point, did you know that the Pac-12 has every single head coach in the Pac-12 is a woman and is a former player and eight of the nine Pac-12 head coaches are coaching at their alma mater. So I just wanted to run it down because I think this is really special and something that we should continue to promote in our sport. Arizona has former All-American national champ and Olympian, um, Caitlin Lowe. Trisha Ford was a really great player at St. Mary's. She's now at Arizona State. Chelsea Spencer was an All-American at Cal, now coaching her school. Melissa Lombardi coached at OU. She's now at Oregon. Laura Berg, as you know, an Olympian leading her Oregon State squad. Heather Tyre at Washington, a national champion. Kelly Inouye Perez at UCLA. Amy Hogue at Utah. And Jessica Allister at Stanford. I just think it's really neat that we are allowing people to stay in. And part of that comes from a head coach who is mentoring young people. Patty Gasso has been one of the best of every year I can remember for almost a decade On her staff, she will have someone who just got out of college, who was maybe the best at their position, um, particularly pitching, and they come in and they're a graduate assistant. She is now placing coaches all over the country. 
Um, I think that's been somebody that I can see really mentoring young people, but really, really cool to see this sport, I think better than any other having former players stick around. And now it's, it's been happening for such a while that now they're ascending to head coaching spots. Well, and to that point, Holly, I think we need to give a nod to athletic departments who have upped the salaries of these coaches to allow that to happen. When I first came out of college, I moved to Kentucky. I was the second assistant on the Kentucky softball squad, the coaching staff, and I made $11,000. And so it didn't give me an opportunity for longevity because I was not able to pay for daycare. I had two children. It was a situation where I left coaching because I wasn't supported monetarily. And so I need to make sure that we give that nod while equity and Hutch was talking about giving equal representation and equal pay for for the sports, I think we're getting there. It's a slow road, but at the same time, I think that's the piece that's keeping our younger athletes who are getting into the coaching world, able to stay in the coaching world. I mean, you look at Danielle O'Toole who came out of Arizona and is now at Fullerton. They got a big win over Arizona. Utah, Paige Parker out of Oklahoma, now on the staff at Utah. Jen Brundage is one of those who came out, she graduated in 95, but she's on staff at Michigan and she's been supported with Hutch that whole time. So I just, I need to make sure that we recognize that athletic departments are giving these athletes opportunities that were not available before. Yeah. Opportunity being the key word. And Jenny, you mentioned it as well as Holly, um, just the lineage of great pitching coaches that have now come out of Oklahoma with Michelle Gascoigne at Northwestern and then Paige Parker at Utah. And I think if you can't coach at your alma mater, I think the second best thing is to beat your alma mater whenever you play them. And that game with Utah and Oklahoma, like you just, I mean, DJ Gasso, Patty's son is also on staff at Utah and Paige Parker is the pitching coach at Utah. You're thinking Utah might do it. Utah might be Oklahoma, but I, I think it's cool. Like it, to get to play your alma mater is really cool too. So you go from like wearing a different hat to a new hat and be like, okay, game on. Like, I want to take you down. I want to beat you. Well, it was fun to watch last year at the Women's College World Series. Five of the eight coaches were, were women, former softball players, and, of course, the last three national championships uh, women who used to play the game, Michelle, were at the helm of their teams. Yeah, and I think we also need to give a shout-out to the Big Ten. They do a really good job of having uh, the lion's share of their coaches as female as well. I believe maybe all but one. Um, maybe uh, I think it's just Maryland that uh, has – as a male coach. So I, I love the fact that women are, are staying in the game. And um, when you are like a, you know, at, at a, at a school where uh, you have women coaches coaching those women, I just think it gives these young athletes the ability to think, Hey, even if I don't go on to play professionally, uh, there's an opportunity for me in the sport somewhere as well as in broadcasting. So I think that there's so many opportunities that if you see it um, and they look like me, then you, you start to believe that maybe I can do it. So I love the fact that women are starting to stay in the game at all different levels and all different positions. If you see it, you can be it. And, and uh, we, we will uh, close the program on, on a couple of notes. We want to amplify what coach Hutch was talking about. Uh, the Olympics are coming in 2028 to Los Angeles. Michelle Smith, who has been a tireless worker to make sure it's on the program again, uh, and we need a venue. And so sugar daddies, sugar mamas, softball fans out there, if you want to get a little conglomerate together to raise some cash, uh, we, we need a softball venue, a softball stadium in Southern California to uh, really make sure that 
we put on a show for the Olympics and we can host all kinds of great events out there as well and attract all the best teams. And then um, I, I also think we need Amanda Scarborough to close with her great social media warfare against the armbands and uh, people trying to shut that down in Scarborough. You, you just, that one guy you just put in a headlock. I loved it. Did you read the replies to that? Oh my gosh. So I, I can't remember which game I was watching, but I just get so tired of the armband and then the girls have to step off because they can't read the armband. Right. I just feel like it takes a long time. And I know that we have a clock that we're supposed to, that the umpires are supposed to go by in between pitches, but I don't know if you guys feel this way. I just get so frustrated because I feel like it's just making the game so long. And so I'm like, of course, you know, just like pull out my Twitter and I make a tweet about it. And then everybody else was agreeing with me. And I didn't know that everybody else had this hatred for lack of better word about the armbands and how they want them like gone out of the game. And I don't know if you can, Michelle, ever go back to a pitcher and catcher calling the game with all the scouting reports and all the knowledge that you have inside the dugout. But I don't know. I, don't you think that there's something better than the armband that we can go back to, to keep the game moving along? Yeah, I think your point exactly, Amanda. To me, the information coming out of the dugout should be the strength of the hitter, where the defense should be shifted. I mean, all the different things that really are rel relative to that particular hitter. And then the battery should be educated enough to be able to throw their best game on their best day. Because let's face it, you have a couple different pitches. One, the umpire might be given the up ball, but not the down ball. So there's so many different aspects of the game that the, the battery can control um, that can be invested in their own success. I like to see it. I understand why coaches want to keep control of that, but I'd love to see that relinquished to the battery. Uh, I just think it'd make a big difference. Send in the strength of the hitter. Hey, they're strong outside. So we're going to pitch them inside and then let the battery take it from there. That's my opinion. So I've always liked it when the catcher and the pitcher think the game together, there's something really beautiful about that. And I think we've taken some of the thinking away from pitchers particularly, but we have to be realistic is part of the reason the armbands came about was because people were stealing signs. So, you know, if you really want to pinpoint like Aaron early wine and some of the guys who had played fast pitch softball, that's a big piece of the men's fast pitch game is stealing the signs. And so as soon as he came into the SEC, I can remember talking with Beth Torina about this. They went to the armbands so they could prevent the sign stealing. We saw Stacey Nelson at Florida basically lose a World Series because her pitches got picked. You know, so there, there's a lot of layers to the armbands that I would love for you guys to talk about. Yeah, but I remember there's a difference between stealing signs and picking pitches, right? So stealing signs is you're, you're intercepting the communication where there's the communication between the pitcher and the catcher is much more limited and quicker, harder to steal when the battery's calling it, right? But picking pitches is when a pitcher's tipping something in their form and their pre-motion. So, you know, sometimes I think in the past, pitches were picked and they assumed they were stealing signs when they really weren't. And I think that's kind of got... Uh, that's what got us down this rabbit hole. And you're exactly right, Michelle. I think if we played our game a little bit more like baseball, you'd see a lot of balls into the ear of a batter because you're picking signs is not cool, but picking pitches is part of the game. So I used to love a pitcher who would rock back with her arm down because I could see her grip. I could see a knuckle tucked. I could tell what she was going to throw in that rock back. And you've noticed pitchers don't do that as much as they used to anymore because that was giving grips away. So now they keep in the glove the whole time and just go to their circles. So I really think 
it needs to stop. The armband is slowing down the game and it's taking away the thinking of our athletes. We are crazy athletic, but we have to implement it at the younger ages. You can't just all of a sudden say, okay, no armbands. You'll see exactly what happened when we did the out of the box stuff with the slappers. You have to give athletes time to adjust to what you're asking them to do, but we definitely need to have our athletes think, think the game at a much earlier level. Uh, you nailed it, Jenny, because well, first of all, Jen Schroeder's not here. So I feel like we need somebody to just talk about the catchers. And I think it's a really powerful thing, both for a pitcher and a catcher to have the accountability to call their own games, to sit there and say, okay, I can go out there and not be a robot. I can think for myself. I can learn, I can react and I can challenge myself and grow. And then when the game's over, I can take accountability for what I did on the field. And we all do that. And so I want that so bad because I think it builds uh, character and life skills that are going to go beyond softball. When you say out there, this game is going to rely on me. Practices for the coaches, games are for the players. And I will live and die on that always. You know what we need is a shot clock like you, they have in basketball so that they're, the pitcher's clock and the batter's clock are being viewed by everybody because I just don't think officials are calling it. You know, there is a rule about being ready to pitch and ready to hit. And there is a time constraint on that. And I don't think that it's being enforced. And that that's part of what you're getting frustrated about, Amanda, is that it's it's taking too long and they're not enforcing the rules that are already in place. Attention to softball and baseball at all levels. Smitty and I called the Olympics this summer. You can't leave the uh, pitcher's uh, circle. You cannot leave the batter's box. And the games just moved. And, and that's what we need. Uh, I love this discussion. It sounds like spies like us, the CIA just uh, inserted a mole into our podcast, but that's okay. That's how we roll here. Um, speaking of rolling, thanks so much again for rolling with us on the Seven Innings Podcast. Beth Moans, Michelle Smith, Kayla Bro, Amanda Scarborough, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and we used to call her Ho-Roll, but now we have to call her Ho-Roll because she is on a roll by naming the podcast again this week. Oops, she did it again at Seven Innings Podcast on your social media as we continue our quest to get to the Women's College World Series and we see you out there, America, on the road to Oklahoma City.